0: Welcome to It's Personal Finance Canada. I'm Christine Conway.
1: And I'm Cameron Conway.
0: And this podcast is a very personal look at personal finance in Canada. Welcome to It's Personal Finance Canada. I'm Christine Conway here with Cameron Conway. And today we're going to talk about SRI and ESG.
1: That's right. What was once used to add some extra flavor to food has become the hot new topic in investing.
0: Oh, no, not MSG. <laughs>
1: oh, oh, I we're going to have to scrap a lot of my research then.
0: Oh, dear. I, so, of course, socially responsible investing and ESG, which is environmental, social and governance, is a huge hot topic these days. More people are interested in finding ways to invest in companies that are leaving less of a footprint. In a negative way, of course.
1: Yeah, well, even with us at Braun, we've had more people recently talk to us about wanting to look at ESG investing, and this is something that's been around for it's been around for a long time. But really, in the last three to four years, has it really started to gain traction? But being sort of the hot, shiny new item in investing, there's kind of the good, the bad, and the ugly in terms of what is available as ESG and. What we want to talk about is just trying to break down what it means and how some funds and companies will just try to to exploit it just so they can kind of label themselves ESG to protect their stock price.
0: Well, that's right. I think back In the day, socially responsible investing was more about what wasn't included in your portfolio. So, I mean, the big ones would be things like fossil fuels and like vice stocks. So, tobacco, alcohol, uh, gambling, adult entertainment, military weapons, that kind of thing, right? And I think it's changed more with the addition of social responsibilities, with the addition of governance being two of the kind of three legs on this thing. And that has really shifted which companies qualify as being considered ESG. So the reason we wanted to do this talk today is if you decide you want to invest responsibly for all the right reasons, we want to make sure that you have the tools to understand what the filters are and It's actually quite a bit of a moving target out there. So we're hoping that things refine as this process develops. Like I said, this push Cam was mentioning, it really does seem to have picked up a lot of steam in the last few years here. So I'm sure we'll see a lot more paring back of what actually will be categorized as ESG. But um, the trend that I've been seeing and the thing that concerns me the most is when you hear big companies say, oh, all our funds go through the ESG filter. Uh, that, of course, doesn't make any sense to me, because how can everyone be ESG when we see things like Canada research showing that only 15% of TSX listed companies are actually fully aligned with the framework that we're going to talk about later. That's the TCFD framework.
1: Yeah, a lot of companies are just kind of getting on the bandwagon of socially responsible investing and ESG compliance. Where a couple of years ago it there was only like a handful of funds, but now IA has their SRI lineup, but Desjardins has their Societerra, RPC has their Vision. Every single one of these companies that offer seg funds or mutual funds are coming out with their own sort of ESG friendly branded label. But at the same time, these aren't created equal amongst themselves. Like you can go through some of the top ten list and you will see like Suncor and Enbridge and SNC Leveling and a lot of other companies that you would not expect to see if you want a pure like ESG system sustainable future type of investment fund.
0: Well, and that's what we're talking about. There's a bit of a distancing from the way it used to be where SRI was focused on exclusion, whereas this seems to be more focused on inclusion. But my worry is it's kind of becoming a bit of a checklist that's being filed along with the other paperwork that the board of directors is going to be doing anyways. And of course, you want to see and you hope that the items that are discussed in this checklist are actually translating over to positive change in how a company is being run in terms of fairness to work. in terms of compliance, in terms of things like that. But I mean, green initiative is a huge, big category. And by its very nature, it can be challenging to fully integrate a green solution depending on what industry you're in.
1: Yeah, that's right. That's kind of like where the big costs start to set in. But for most people, it's sort of the green initiative is why they are gravitating towards these types of funds. And they may not realize that the governance or the social aspects of the waiting could actually take a like a non-green company and make it look better than it actually is because this is something we're seeing where companies are kind of monkeying around with the social and the government side of esg to kind of overweight themselves so they don't have to kind of cover the costs of the environmental side because it can be a burden i was at a rbc gam meeting and they kind of did some like monkey projections saying like oh if All of these top Canadian oil companies wanting to be fully net zero by, I think it was 2030 or 2040, depending on the company, it would cost between like $10 and $20 a barrel to meet those goals. So some companies don't want to eat that cost right off the bat, but they want to be ESG compliant. So there are some games that can get played. So we want to kind of help you understand the full scope of what ESG actually is on the back end, and not just the pretty pictures of forest and unicorns running around that you see in commercials.
0: Well, that's right, and I mean, even ten dollars a barrel for oil—that's significant, right? In terms of moving the needle in prices, if uh, if you follow that on a regular basis. So let's kind of dig into what the elements are of ESG, so that we can kind of put some parameters around what we're talking about. So environmental is the first one, and like we said, this is about carbon management and the footprint that we leave, uh, energy usage, waste management, pollution impact, or even mitigation. And on top of that, it's not just managing the output, but it's the new initiatives. So green initiatives, having spaces and workplaces that are leaving less of an impact, that are certified to certain standards. I mean, I know in the building management world, there's lead standards, things like that. Now, net zero is something that you'll hear thrown around a lot, and that's the whole concept of putting enough offsets to carbon emissions in other places that you're not really leaving that same material footprint that you would be without the offsets.
1: Again, this is where some controversy happens, where sometimes it means planting so many thousand trees. Other times it means writing a check to someone who didn't use up as much carbon.
0: And in some parts of the world, it can be as funny as, hey, this company is going to trade our usage for your usage. And I'm pretty sure these things have been bought and sold uh, in packaging as well. So that's something to be aware of.
1: Yeah. So again, we're not against this type of investment. We think this is good. This is what will help us long term. But we want you to understand the games that get played and where you can determine which company is actually going to bring about that desired future that you want to see and which ones are just kind of putting on the mask and kind of greenwashing things.
0: Well, that's exactly it. Because like we said, socially responsible investing, there is a bit of a a lead in there where companies that offer these things will say, "Mm, but we might charge you a little bit more or, oh, maybe our returns aren't going to be as good. So it's, people that are choosing to invest this way where it is very positive and absolutely we're definitely in support of it. It can lead to making decisions about the performance of your investments as well. So let's finish going through this list here and then let's talk about who is actually deciding what ESG is. Because I think that's a pretty important question.
1: Yeah. So let's move on to the S. So this is the social responsibility. So this includes philanthropy, philanthropy, Uh, Work towards diversity, equality, inclusion, not just inside the corporation and its employee and governance structure, but also advocating on the outside, which gets a lot of companies some positive and negative attention. It's a bit of a hot button issue. Uh, Social also includes how companies treat their employees, so what are their overall working conditions, what's their health and safety, what's their job satisfaction like, and then other things such as customer relations, how the company interacts with its customers or even just its neighbors, which can be factored in sometimes too. And finally, uh, political stability, which depending on which ESG framework you read, it could just be Uh, compliance with good Western governments or just how they manage their own internal affairs.
0: Well, that's right. And a lot of this framework is looking at it from a global perspective. So that's important to keep in mind as well. This is not just a North American initiative, but it's something that's being put out there and that is being monitored by organizations that have representation from people's different level of government across the world, really.
1: Well, part that and then just other investment institutions. And again, it's just sort of the ongoing march of more companies want to meet these standards. So they'll do initiative here, they'll do a PR push for certain things, or they'll just try to treat their employees better, which is a good thing.
0: So let's cover the last category, the governance, and then let's get into the UN's kind of principle for responsible investment.
1: Yeah. So the last part of ESG is the governance. So this is how a corporation is run from the inside from their sort of board of directors. So this covers the board structure the amount of independence it has, talks about the director's expertise, how qualified they are for the job. Uh, another factor that gets looked at is the overall diversity of the board. So how many men, how many women, how many people of color and so forth. It also goes over executive compensation. Uh, some f- Different investment groups and funds will use a multiplier, as in how much a CEO makes compared to the average worker to determine their ESG score in this place. Uh, Another one that comes up is shareholder rights. So how much of a say does the average shareholder have in a company? Is it an equal voice of the shareholders as a whole against the board, or is it something like Tech and Rogers, where there's just so much weighting towards the owning family, the shareholders have no voice whatsoever. And then it's other internal things, such as how they manage their privacy and cybersecurity, uh, if they've been involved in bribery or corruption. On the flip side, how are their anti-corruption practices, as C. level? And finally, what is their corporate oversight and their ability to manage risk? So all of this kind of falls in the governance category. So you can kind of see where a lot of companies can try and score a lot of points here and not have to emphasize as much on the other two legs.
0: Well, that's right. I was looking at some documentation from Thomas Reuters back from 2017. And I mean, in ESG years, that makes that pretty old. But um, it was weighted categories. So like Cam just said, you can score really, really high on some of these social and governance areas and not actually get to the meat of it, which is the change that we're looking to see driven forward with ESG initiatives and ESG investing. So our concern is, is this becoming a rubber stamp that people are just doing in terms of if I own a publicly traded company, I'm trying to slip in with my regular filings, something that says, yes, look at how well I've done at being responsible. But Am I actually making the changes or is my industry actually taking the initiatives to move in a direction where we will get net zero? So let's pull it back to the UN, because as we're talking about this in a global perspective, back in 2006, they came out with something called the Principles for Responsible Investment. And that has become very important in terms of companies' willingness to take on these initiatives.
1: Yeah, not just companies themselves, but this talks more about uh, investment firms and how they pick the companies they choose. So, like the SEG fund carriers we deal with, many of them would be signatories to this document. You see this across other uh, investment firms, mutual fund companies, hedge fund companies. So, since 2006, different companies have been signing up to this to kind of commit towards this ESG strong future.
0: So from the signatory's commitment, we'd like to read a quote. So I quote, As institutional investors, we have a duty to act in the best long-term interests of our beneficiaries. In this fiduciary role, we believe that environmental, social, and corporate governance, ESG issues, can affect the performance of investment portfolios to varying degrees across companies, sectors, regions, asset classes, and through time. We also recognize that applying these principles may better align investors with broader objectives." of society. Therefore, where consistent with our fiduciary responsibilities, we are committing to the following.
1: And yeah, so then they kind of go into their six core principles that these different investment firms are kind of expected to adhere to. This is not legally binding. This is kind of a willful participation. So, for example, the first principle is we will incorporate ESG issues into investment analysis and decision making process. So this is just investment companies agreeing to kind of factor in all these different aspects into how they pick funds, how they encourage uh, research into this and advocation for ESG training and more incorporation across different companies that they are buying the stocks of. And this piggybacks onto principle two, how we will be active owners and incorporate ESG issues into our own ownership policies and practices. So they want these investment companies to kind of practice what they preach. So you'll see more of these companies like IA just put out their 2023 sustainability report, which is like a 34 page report talking about how all the things they have done the last year to meet these same ESG obligations. And you'll see it's across a bunch of other carriers, but IA is just the last one I read about a week ago. And principle three is kind of the big one that these investment groups will kind of deal with. It is, we will seek appropriate disclosure on ESG issues by the entities in which we invest. So this is literally just portfolio managers just knocking on the door of the investment relations department and the board of governors of the companies they're trying to invest in and getting directly from them their ESG layout. there are sustainability reports, their environmental impact reports and really it's actually a lot of things you're seeing in the first couple of pages of quarterly reports now. It's these portfolio managers want to see the tactile responses these companies are taking in order to remain ESG favorable in the eyes of the portfolio manager.
0: So principle number four, if we're moving along, is all about promoting acceptance and implementation of these principles within the investment industry. So this is the big push to make this normal. And like I said, making it normal is a great thing, but you want to be filtering down again just to make sure that the companies that you're invested in are taking on these initiatives and taking them on seriously.
1: Yeah, so that's why it's always important to look at at very least the top 10 list of the fund you're looking at and just making sure that you believe these companies are actually lining up with the ESG SRI future.
0: Right, because when you're looking at this principle, it's kind of all about papering the file. It's having documentation in the industry that is being properly analyzed and has metrics associated with it and is being evaluated in terms of its effectiveness. So hopefully, rather than just papering the file, we're trying to isolate companies that are looking forward and trying to actually implement positive change in the future. So let's go through the rest of these pretty quick because I guess this is kind of dragging a little bit here.
1: But it's giving context to what ESG actually is and how portfolio managers are being not forced, but encouraged to filter this. Because what we'll see later on, there is no hard governance metric yet. So there is a lot of fluidity and a lot of... Opinions in how portfolio managers implement ESG practice.
0: Yeah, so principles five and six really quickly are just kind of advocating working together to enhance effectiveness. And the sixth one is about how we will report on our activities and progress towards implementing these principles.
1: Now we kind of have a better understanding on these principles of investment from the UN sub agency. We can kind of talk a bit about what we see some of the pros and cons are for ESG funds right now. Well, one of the big pros, it kind of helps dissuade the old picture of the Monty Burns run companies and all the like, and try and bring in a bit more Ned Flanders into investments and corporate governance. And one of the overall pushes is it's the hope that companies will become more sustainable on the long term by Bring in these ESG policies, but even things like good risk management on the governance, that's good for the long term. Treating your employees right and paying the wealth, that's good for the long term. Having a sustainable amount of energy usage is also good for the long term.
0: Well, and I think this kind of all drives back to the idea that you get more of what you measure. So if the companies and the investment firms that are doing this and that are looking at this, if there's more awareness from a corporate level, that this is going to be part of the report card that they're all having to abide by, there should be more willingness to adapt policy change. So policy can be one of those kind of dry and boring things. Hopefully this didn't drag on too far, but the policy behind the scenes is so important because when you find out what will be measured, you can kind of extrapolate forward what will the changes be. So with the environmental, social, and governance, I would imagine that we would see some companies that maybe aren't traditionally SRI or ESG try and prop up those two other areas that are easier to say, hey, look at what a good job we've done.
1: Uh, Yeah, I was actually going to mention that when we get into the cons of ESG investing, that yeah, some companies, as you mentioned in the beginning, will try and artificially prop up the two of the three legs and ignore the other one, or they will just kind of haphazardly tried to do something to get them good ESG PR, like we kind of saw with Anheuser-Busch and the recent uh, Bud Light marketing controversy, which cost them a large part of their market share and their stock price came down. So it shows if this isn't handled properly or well, it can kind of turn around and bite you and do a lot of damage to your corporation. But at the same time, there's still a lot of pros if things are done properly or even just other things such as we've seen a rise in the so-called green bonds, which is investments in infrastructure for green use or even oddities like I just saw a new green bond, which is about um, the growth of the rhino population in Africa. Essentially, you no, you, I'm serious. You sign up for this bond and every year the population increases, the UN will send you money. And that's how this green bond works. It's not a corporation making money or paying back its debt. It's every year another rhino was born in Africa, you get more money.
0: So incentivizing behavior that they're wanting to drive, even though it's a little bit bizarre, right? I mean, when you think about bonds, you think about infrastructure, you think about uh, affordable housing, you think about that kind of thing, not necessarily rhinos. but like you said, you can use whatever incentive method uh, like this with a little bit of creativity to drive the positive change that they're looking to accomplish.
1: Yeah, and in this creativity, it's where a lot of people who are very gung-ho on ESG, especially the environmental side, they will find good investment options, be it green bonds, infrastructure packages, or just small mid-cap companies trying to do carbon capture, solar technology, renewable batteries, and that kind of stuff. That's where a lot of people may find what they need you kind of feel better and have the good ESG inclusion in their overall investment portfolio.
0: Right. Where I would argue the more important things is who's looking to the future for things like clean tech, for things like solar resources or renewable energy resources, things like that, that will sustain us all over the long term.
1: Yeah. And that's a lot of the good. But at the same time, there's also the negative side, which we covered. Like I just covered the everything that happened with Anheuser-Busch or how companies will Overinflate certain numbers to make things look better or we've seen some other companies they'll throw like a couple million dollars at a green initiative but they're still causing billions of dollars in damage on the back end it's the greenwashing. washing so again this is where you have to watch out where companies aren't just trying to put on the esg face i know it's something we said repeatedly but the longer you look at this stuff and you see what's going on at the back end the more frustrating it can get
0: so you really have to evaluate If you feel like the board of directors for that particular company, I mean, are they engaging in activities that are just designed to make it look good on the surface where kind of one hand isn't paying attention to what the other hand is doing uh, and the one is up front looking good, but the other one in the background is still maybe doing things that you would not traditionally support with an ESG mandate. So, hopefully, in the future, some of that will be more mitigated as the reporting standards become more commonplace and as they become more standardized. Because I think one of the biggest challenges with anything being ESG at this point in time is it's wide open for interpretation at this stage. So, the core concepts are there, like we were discussing with the principles, but having core concepts is still pretty wide open in terms of what you will do for your own firm to carry it forward into the future. So we were looking at, okay, who is actually regulating this stuff? And we found the Task Force on Climate-Related Financial Disclosures. That's a TCFD, um, which has a developed framework that helps publicly traded companies and other organizations disclose this More effectively. So, the more standardization we see and the more we see people following a pre existing metric, the less kind of wiggle room there is to kind of monkey around. I mean, of course, anyone who wants to monkey around will find ways, but hopefully, the honesty in especially something as sensitive as social responsibility will prevail.
1: Yeah, and so this organization is sort of a subset of the Financial Stability Board, which is sort of a UN-backed organization, which is essentially made up of all the finance ministers of the G20 and a few other places, the IMF and that kind of stuff. And then the task force itself is chaired by Michael Bloomberg, so interpret that as you will.
0: We are not going to comment on that one any further, but uh, yes, interesting.
1: But it is this uh, TCFD report, which is what uh, Christine referred to with Price Waterhouse at the beginning of the podcast, where they thought that only 15% of TSX companies would be compliant once these new sort of parameters are established, which is a big drawback for Canada because the same report showed that about 81% of European companies are already fully up to date with these new protocols.
0: So we've got a bit of catching up to do. And I think the hope is that it gets integrated enough that it's commonplace and that it's just another way of doing business. But like I said, I feel like I keep repeating myself in this one, but that they don't miss out the chance to innovate and come up with new initiatives that will lead to a cleaner, greener future.
1: Yeah, even on the reporting side, in the 2022 Canadian budget, it made it mandatory for companies to start disclosing their uh, climate-related financial risk and just how they track this kind of stuff. So companies are kind of being forced into tracking the stuff already, being more aware of what's going on now. It's just kind of giving the incentive for them to do something about it, which is where on a good side, the ESG sort of rubber stamp is coming into play and to help. And we're seeing that with the ESG. infrastructure bill in the States and the new infrastructure package coming in Canada, where there is a push to kind of go more in this new direction. But at the same time, you, your financial advisor, if you do want to go this direction for investment is to just really do your research and don't just trust whatever brand name the financial institution decided to give their ESG compliant funds, you actually have to kind of dig through yourself and make sure it is lining up with what you actually think it is.
0: So I think our final kind of advice when you're looking at ESG, if that's something that's important to you, and we do hope it becomes more and more important to more people in the future, um, look at it in two different ways. Look at it in terms of what is being screened out. So if it's the traditional stuff like tobacco, weapons, nuclear, fossil fuels, that kind of thing, or what is being added in, what are the new initiatives that are green that can help push things forward? And that can be things like reduction of greenhouse gases, uh, natural resource use. So things like uh, biodiversity protection and water supply issues and also managing pollution and waste and looking for renewable energy supplies and energy efficiency opportunities. So this podcast was a little bit more about policy than we probably wanted it to be when we stepped out, but we find that the best information kind of comes under the hood. You have to do a little bit of digging to see what is real in these things and that the title that something is given is not necessarily the full story. So pardon us for being ever skeptics on pretty well everything, but that's how we feel we do our job well. So... As always, we thank you for listening. Uh, If you want to connect to us, you can do that on the Facebook group. You can tell us about your experiences with socially responsible or ESG investing, and you can tell us if the pros outweigh the cons for you and what metrics you think are valuable in terms of driving this all forward. And it's all about the change that we hope to see for future generations in this world. So I would say it does us all well to take socially responsible investment seriously because it is part of all of our futures and about how we interact globally from a corporate to a personal and even from a country-to-country perspective. So I think that's where we'll leave it today. Until next time, take care.
1: All the best.